my beautiful people, my mini painters, my brush twist and suckers. Are we talking out of our nose this episode? Welcome to the greatest podcast in the world. Just kidding. It's pretty mediocre. <laughs> it's our podcast. So yeah, yeah. Naturally, we think it's the best one in the world. And it's known as Teeped Under Poostick. Yeah, it, the name changes slightly every yeah. episode. <laughs> this time we drop the R entirely, and it's just teeped. <laughs> teeped. Under plurstick. Under plurstick. We put, and we threw the R in, in the second word. Yeah. Plurstick. We like to trade letters between words. Yeah. It's, like it's, a, it's a higher it's level like of consciousness. Letter, it's like a letter economy almost. Yeah. Their they, currency isn't dollars, it's letters. Yeah, they change hands back and forth, and that's a symbol of good trickle-down economics. Yeah, yeah. They'll have, yeah, no taxes at the borders, because like, it'd be like taking half letters, and then it mm. wouldn't be teeped under per stick. It'd be like, what's half R sound like? This is a dumb conversation. <laughs> All right, out of the preamble ramble, which is apparently everyone's favorite part of the episode. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> Don't worry, we're not talking about poop. <laughs> <laughs> I had John clip all the poop things. Okay, yeah, we're, we're we're getting completely off of that topic. <laughs> I'm sure Darren Latham is is upset with me right now, <laughs> as is half of our audience. Right. They're like, oh no, not the poop stuff, but not the dude that that got went off in the comments about he's unsubscribing because uh, we talked about poop. Is that what he said? Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, okay. well, you know, you had to give a long essay. You haven't seen enough episodes. Uh, that that's a staple. <laughs> Anyways, uh, today John is here. It's about eight p.m. Which is a not normal time for us to be recording the, uh, recording the podcast. John, why are you here in my house at 8 p.m.? Yeah, because this is the after hours, the happy hour edition. We don't have any booze, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, we, we do. do. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have it in front of us. A happy hour edition of Trapped Under Plastic, because I have been here for 11 hours at this point. Since 9 a.m. Since 9 a.m. I got here, and we have been working. And this isn't an exaggeration. Basically nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. Other than... Eating tendies and me coughing. We took a a, a literal thirty minute break, mm-hmm. if that, mm-hmm. uh, to eat tendies, and then we took another probably forty five minute break to eat pizza. Yeah, but we shot an interview for an upcoming episode for a series that I've been teasing for literal years on my channel, literal called Kill Your Friends, uh, and we shot a video on my channel uh, for. The blind touch test thing we did last time with 40K miles. We did that with Asian Sigmar miles this time. And I think it turned out way better than the yeah. one. Yeah. This was a it whole was different experience. Yeah. It was very close. It was very close. Uh, we didn't know the list of models going into it. So it was like, and we still got a decent number of them, but way we, more than I thought we would. We missed a couple. And then we shot, we did a live stream. Like it was four hours long. Yeah. Three hours long. And then we did that. Well, now we're doing this. Now we're doing this. This is the fourth thing on the list today. And in between each of those, there's the breakdown and the setup yes. of all the AV stuff. They use di- they, Every single one uses different camera angles and, and, and sometimes different audio. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was a lot of that, a lot of breaking down. And then after this, we officially get to unplug from Chill. the Matrix. Chill the F out. Yeah. Um, this is why when we hung out with Vince and Sam... I didn't want to do anything. Yeah. Because this always happens whenever John's here. It's just like, we never we never get to be normal friends. We're just always making videos and, and painting miniatures about, that will appear in videos and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that, you know? So it's just like, yeah. I keep hitting the microphone. That's okay. Um, They'll forgive us. Yeah. They, they probably wouldn't have even known if I don't bring it up, but I bring it up. <laughs> um, so it is official sleepover night tonight. Yes. We're and we're going to talk. On. I'm excited to talk about 40K models. <laughs> 
this is what happens with me. I get something stuck in my head. Oh, no. That thing I said earlier? Yeah. Okay. And I get obsessed. Okay. 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 And so Thanks we're not going to give any more spoilers about what, what this refers to other than Warhammer 40K. <laughs> Big buys, baby. <laughs> Big buys. <laughs> All right. Next thing on the Preamble Ramble. Uh, Cyberpunk 2077. Have you played it or is it a broken piece of shit? I have played it. I haven't played it, but I've heard mixed reviews. Yeah. I, I did as well, but I bought it, mm-hmm. and I freaking love it so far. I'm so happy. It is it is so good. And, and the reason why this is in our preamble ramble yeah. is related to the hobby. Is My question to the Sprues and Spruettes is, how do you balance your other hobbies with your miniature painting hobby? Because there's only so many free time hours in the day. And if I'm playing cyberpunk, I'm not painting miniatures. Mm. If I'm playing cyberpunk, I'm not filming me paint miniatures mm. for a video. I'm not editing. I'm not working out color schemes. I'm not building models. Right. And so I struggle. I feel kind of guilty every single time. And I put enough hours into this game where I'm kind of hooked. And so yeah. I'm like, oh, no. It's I need to over. really be careful here. Yeah. Do you have any tips? Yeah. Step one. There are a few people that would say that video games are not a hobby. Namely, mm. my wife. Yeah, mine as well. <laughs> That's two people. <laughs> um, that is a waste of your life, I think would be the words used to describe it. I think it's all about scheduling, okay? I work on mantra stuff from five to four, air day. And then after that, I can do whatever I want. I can watch TV shows. I can eat snacks. I can play video games. I can paint more if I want to. Speaking of, I'll talk about it later. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, that. it's just about it's about time management. So it's like it doesn't it doesn't matter what I get done in the hours I have allotted for painting and editing videos. As long as I spend that time painting and editing videos, then I can reward myself with some cyberpunk. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I like to set myself to like okay i'm not playing more than two hours of this today because if i do that in addition to my work day and what else i want to accomplish there's enough math (laughs) there's enough pieces of the pie left over for me to work on hobby stuff yeah but it's really a slippery slope because sometimes that two hours like "Ah, maybe it's four hours (laughs) yeah 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 that's tricky i get that so i I guess i'm curious if anybody else out there in the, the comments below or uh, if you're a patron, uh, you can shoot us a note on the Patreon about any advice you'd have about things that you do to try to keep your hobbies or pastimes or whatever in balance. We can call them gaming is a hobby. Okay. Yeah. You and I can agree on that. Um, recently, I watch a lot of TV shows with my wife. Uh, it's one of the things we do to pass time. Not pass time, but to enjoy each other's companies. We watch shitty TV and we make fun of it. Um, and we do that probably th- average three nights a week and i just asked my wife recently i was like hey do you mind if one of those times during the week while we're watching shade tv i can also be painting because i want to i haven't painted in the evening by myself like a real isolated miniature painter in i don't know how long five years four years three years a long time i can't remember and i'm like oh i'm really excited about this prospect of like kind of being a normal person again mm-hmm. and just painting off camera uh, in the evening. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a totally different experience. Cause I'm still, 
I've got a foot in in both of those canoes. Yeah. Eventually, the canoes kind of diverge, and you oh, got to yeah. pick a then, canoe. And then you're doing like the Van Dam. Yeah. 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 If I could master the Van Dam over two semis, I'm fine. Yeah. I don't know. Semis in water, semis on canoes in water. Yeah. Then it's a whole other big canoes. Yeah. That is another level of complexity. Even Van Damme, he might need the aid of Chuck Norris to pull that off. Okay. Chuck Norris is, where is Chuck Norris in this equation? Is he under Van Damme? Is he holding up the canoes while walking on water because he's God? I think he's actually (laughs) paddling the canoes. I love how seriously you took that proposition and were like, (laughs) Let's think about this. Yeah, let's find the most logical answer. Let's break it down. He's so, paddling the canoes. He's paddling the canoes. He's Van Damming the canoes, paddling in the middle between yes. his legs. Yeah. Yeah. Right between his crotch. And, and he never hits himself in the dick because he's Chuck Norris. Yeah. Maybe he's using his dick to paddle with. Oh, God. This is getting great. <laughs> he's got a pal-sized dick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it for the preamble ramble. We're moving on. <laughs> what we have painted, John, oh. is finger-painting monkeys finger paint your monkey i um <laughs> yeah I, I mean i thought about this the read the catalyst for me finger painting a model <laughs> came so sexual came, came from <laughs> roman lapot yeah i have to As finger paint does. my finger paint my model while watching roman lapot were you <laughs> that's kinky <laughs> <laughs> and i was like i'm not even understanding the full concept behind why he did it or how he did it i'm like joy I'm just going to go into this completely without expectation or without naked. presumption yeah. or without clothes. <laughs> You're just doing it naked. You're and, like, what if I start to pay myself? And you're just like, like three hours later, your wife comes downstairs and it's just like, you're just like shivering in the corner, but covered in fucking nocturnal paint. <laughs> it spoke to me. <laughs> Smeagol, dude, you got some dirty loincloth on? Okay, anyways. <laughs> this is we're off the rails right oh, now. Oh man, yeah, this is what tarped under plastic after dark is all about. We don't even know. Yeah, um, we don't even know. <laughs> and it was just, it was great. It was allowed you to take a thirty thousand foot view of what miniature painting is and what matters. Mm. And to me, what mattered was light placement, color placement, and just not worrying about the details. Nice. Too often, I find that. Very early on, or even from the very beginning of painting a model, I'm I'm like at tense level of precision or trying to do things perfectly. Yeah. And this, to me, the biggest takeaway was that it proved to me that you don't have to do that for the first 75% of the model for the final product to still look good. Yeah. And so... That's, uh, a, cool, that's a cool discovery. Yeah. So I have a video on that. Um, I also paint, uh, started painting this on stream today. Let me see this. Oh, Kingdom Death model, uh, the new one, um, Echoes of Death 3, the monk chick. One Punch Man? Yeah, it kind of looks like that. One Punch Woman? No. So it just started with the Zenitho of, of from like a burgundy color up to a pale flesh over the whole model from the direction of the various light sources. And then I uh, put contrast over everything. Now I'm starting to go back in to get details. And then we'll work in the ambient light sources to kind of bring all the colors back up. It's working. And fold it in. Yeah, the skin makes me worried. The problem with contrast paint over things like her thigh is you cannot get a smooth coat. Because any because it doesn't fully like just smooth over everything. There's little bits of inconsistencies of how it kind of creates a coat. It's over like bumpy or textured surfaces like that. It's great. It's just like trying to paint like a whole armor panel of a 
uh, rhino with contrast yeah. with the brush, it just wouldn't work. Yeah. So I had some inconsistencies on some of the flat portions of her skin, but going back over with highlights with the brush work, it kind of... I'm going to build that back up all the way over the crust, over the crust, <laughs> the whole model. Who knows when I'll finish that. I like the blue on the underside of the leg that then turns into the yellow bandaging and you got this green mid-tone because yellow and blue make green. Yeah. I, after I did all the um, Zenithal priming, I took an indigo ink and I shot it really sp- very little in the areas where there was no directional light would hit, where we'd have kind of maximum shadows because there's basically three light sources um, just on the model itself. And so tried to get more of that in there. I would have liked to have more of that for more drama. Mm. There's not as much as I would have liked, but... Okay. Maybe on the underside of the, the, under, yeah. the neck area right here. Yeah, that would have been perfect. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, what, what, what you have there is cool, and you painted it for... What three, Maybe three hours being yeah? You really painted probably like two and a, two hours. Yeah. Um. Okay. Cool. I what'd like you, it. What'd you paint, Scotty? I painted three tyranids. I oh, sorry. I painted one tyranid three times. No. No. Just one. Uh. And my buddies who were here with me this weekend uh, painted the other two, and I painted uh a, a vampire's leg. Let's take a look at this vampire leg. So yeah. So the the nid was for a video. Uh, the subject is I'm teaching two noobs how to paint miniatures from start to finish. So everything, the assembly, the clipping and cleaning, the gap filling, uh, the priming, the base coating, highlighting, basing, everything. We, we go through every single step. I give them a brief uh, a description of the step and then they ask me whatever questions occur to them because sometimes it's hard to know what questions a beginner might ask. Right. Um, and they were over here and they were interested in doing the hobby. Um, so yeah. Did they watch you paint each step before they tried it or they just listened and then did it simultaneously with you? Yeah. So the video is edited to make it look like it's happening simultaneously, but it is not. I demoed the most important steps, which were the uh, applying a base coat, doing the primer, applying the initial highlights to the the carapace armor. and doing the edge highlights on the claws. So, like, the critical steps, the, the ones they were most uh, afraid of messing up, they watched, and then they did. Cool. I think that that's a great way to learn. Yeah. I'm sure it was a lot less daunting, and they would leave, in in theory, if they enjoyed the process, which they're more set up to do so by going through the first one with you that way, that yeah. they're leaving with a, the hunger. The hunger. The hunger oh, yeah, they got the flesh. hunger. Yeah, we have a virtual hobby night set up this coming Monday. And like they were uh, at Hobby Lobby today, sending me texts or sorry uh, questions like, "What primer should I get? Like, what, what what paint should I get?" And like all these questions, so that they're they're freaking amped. Um, and I, I gave uh, I have a Warcry box with the unmade in it. I have no plans for it, so I gave them that box, and they're they're assembling that and, and working on that. Cool. Yeah, dude, it, it was it was a cool experience, and we're gonna talk more about that in the topic of today's video. Oh yeah, we're gonna dig into that today. Dig into the light. Okay, I gotta say one thing about the vampire. Oh this yeah, thing, the vampire. I didn't say anything about that. This thing is made of metal. Yeah, and it's on the new GW stand, and this feels precarious as fuck. Like yeah, this it is, is so top heavy. This it fucking is. thing is gonna fall. It did already because this handle sucks balls. I mean, I don't think it's any better than this. Tbh. I'm I, talking about John's... Oh, yeah, definitely not. Especially with that going on. No, no, no. I, think, I think something about the sheer height. That that makes it worse. Right. That makes it worse. Um, dude, stick a weight down there, though. This thing is rock solid. Yeah. Right? I could just 
you know, throw a bunch of lead. Did it come hollowed out? It's a it's a can, uh, candle holder from Hobby ah! Lobby. Yeah, you can buy a six pack of candle holders at Hobby Lobby for three bucks. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Yeah, it already fell over. And this base size is strange. It's too big for the bottom one, but also too mm. small really for the top one. So it is kind of uh, loose. Mm, it is loosey goosey. Pops right out. And also the model is just like really. It's it's the it's the old. Not old, old, but one of the older vampire lords uh, mm-hmm. who is like part bat, part human. He's got a six sword. He's a human. With He's <laughs> got a six sword with both a guard and a basket yeah. because he really cares about his hands. Yeah, those things. He must be a miniature painter. He does not <laughs> want those things getting messed up in battle. Um, yeah. I did TMM on the leg, but instead of using black for the shadows, I painted it like NMM with TMM paints, and I used basically the bright silver as a max highlight, and then the midtone down to a shadow was red, red down to dark red into black eventually. Some areas it works, some areas it doesn't work. I was kind of experimenting with a lot of stuff, so. Very cool. Thank you. Very cool indeed. Very cool. John, one of my biggest gripes about... 3D printing is that sometimes a lot of the models have awesome designs. I just don't want to print it because I'm lazy. Mm-hmm. I want the freaking model or at least the choice, maybe a model or to print it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I kind of feel like you're setting me up for something here and there's going to be a perfect solution here. That's right, John. It turns out you're much smarter than you look. Broken Anvil is very excited to announce their upcoming Kickstarter called Dungeon Delvers. This Kickstarter campaign will consist of the best of both worlds. STLs for printing these glorious minis at home, pre-supported by 3D Printing Pro, the one, the only, and physical cast miniatures made right here in the U.S. by their team of resin wizards. All minis in this range are 32mm scale for use in your favorite tabletop RPG or war game. Buggy Wugs, Fungonites, Dark Dwarves, Mouse Folk, Monsters of the Deep, You really got to love these trademark dodging names, right? (laughs) I want to know what a boggy wog is, honestly. (laughs) And some fun terrain. They all come standard in the all-in pack, or you can choose the Warband model kit that you like the best. They will have a lot of fun stretch goals, like an awesome wood dragon or a troll that comes complete with his own bridge to sit under. The campaign has a lot of awesome add-ons and extras slated for the entire length of the campaign. You can find it links in the video description. A big thank you to Chris over at Broken Anvil Miniatures and all of the rest of their model-making marauders. Thanks for supporting Trapped Under Plastic. Back to the episode. All right, so John has given this episode a working title. Working title. Of gorging yourself on miniatures. And this is kind of a, a different topic than what we normally do. Um, so I'm probably going to be doing most of the chatting in this episode, and John's going to be reacting to what's going on. Because recently, I had a miniature hobby-filled weekend uh, both the hobby and the gaming side. Literally, we're doing it nonstop. We played maybe Dota for like two hours. Otherwise, we were eating or hobbying. So wow. it was it was serious. Um, and I want to talk about that experience. Talk about what we did, what we played, and kind of you know just 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 chat about that. And then we had an idea for a future episode where you did something similar for uh, uh, Gloomhaven. Oh, okay. Because you have a lot of experience in that game. Um, 
that I think would be really cool to hear. Also, it's a top-rated game on Board Game Geek. It is the best board game I have ever played. That's awesome. And it's so nerdy. I love it. I feel like I should. I played it one time, and it was really cool, but it was a weird scenario where my wife got jebated into playing it, and she... She's not like a nerdy nerd, yeah. you know. She likes board games, but like not like the heavy, sweaty ones. <laughs> it is heavy and moist. I like those. I, the moister, the better. Honestly, <laughs> uh, I like those ones. Um, but she she wasn't, so I could tell she wasn't having a fun time. And so I was probably worried about her enjoyment more than I was actually getting to enjoy the game itself. Yeah, it takes away from your focus. Yeah, I, I've been there myself. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So as I alluded to in the. Uh, the what we painted section um i had two buds over from uh, my hometown to have a hobby filled weekend they wanted to get into the hobby i've been friends with them for decades um and uh i've been doing hobbying for decades and i was like you know why hasn't happened yet so they came over with two plans in mind we were going to make a video uh like i described earlier where it was just beginners uh painting models for the first time and asking questions we're going to paint models for uh, Curtis's army, the Tyranids, and we're going to devise a scheme and an easy paint plan for that scheme. Mm. Um, and we did that in the video. We did it live. Oh, boy. No pre-thinking. I was actually was very adamant about us not talking about it uh, beforehand, um, much to Curtis's chagrin because he really wanted to kind of figure it out. It turned out great, though. He really liked the scheme, so that was good. The other plan was we were all going to pick out war bands from Warhammer Underworlds, mm. a D-ranked game, according to John. Yeah, after I shit on it last episode, you chose the was, only D in my list. That that was planned before. Okay. Uh, we all picked war bands. Uh, uh, I picked Skaith's Wild Hunt, of course. Mm, of course. Uh, another buddy picked uh, Mogwith's Blade Coven sick models in that box which is that one daughters of cain it, oh yeah that's a, a new weird one. name mogwith um and last one was Molog's mob oh, the troll mo names yeah a lot of m's the troll one with like the sentient mushroom and like the, the weird squig bat thing yeah. and something else the squig bat's pretty cute Molog the troll it's is scary. a fucking beast he's like the only thing that fights of course yeah um so yeah that was that was uh that was fun so that was the other plan we were going to play that learn that uh, have like the full experience of gaming and playing because we can't like we can't play 40k if they've never played it before like, assembling and painting or just assembling in an army would be ridiculous yeah and that and even if you did you're like oh we'll play like a 500 point game or a thousand point game those games aren't balanced around that point system right and then you don't want them to have a shitty experience of what the game isn't actually meant to be yeah um whereas underworlds and and the caveat too with underworlds is you know i've got actually very little experience playing Underworlds with just the deck in the box. It's just deck, like deck, deck in, in a box. box. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's all about deck building. You know, you got to build your deck in a box. You can't just take the one they give you. You got to make it a cyborg deck in a box. A lot of enhancements. Oh god. Maybe that's, like a. It's a great song. Like a like a scope to put on your deck in a box. <laughs> Did you just fucking do that motion? Get out of here! All right, none of this shit. <laughs> Uh, you wanted me, I was going to just talk about the Underworlds experience because I have a lot of thoughts about the game, uh, both positive and negative. Um, but you wanted me to talk about the hobby thing as well. That is why we're here. Yes. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, no, it's both things. We, yeah, we love, things. we love all, sh- all dark and shady corners of the hobby. That's true. And the gaming one is definitely a shady corner. It is shady. Just kidding. We love you gamers. Shout out to you gamers <laughs> out there. 
Um, we'll, ta- we'll, we'll have a, a spicy news topic later about all those <laughs> gamers. Air quotes gamers. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. That sounds really uh, aggressive. Okay. Right. Anyways, the hobby portion, I don't know what to say about it necessarily, but we bought a box of Tyranid Hormigons um, and we painted it live on the episode. The scheme ended up being a red carapace. Uh, is it carapace or piss? It's like root and root. Okay, it's okay. Pecan and pecan. Your match may vary. Okay, you get to pick. You get to one pick. of those words. <laughs> Whichever one you pick in the comments, they'll say you said the wrong one. Okay, right. Also, carapace because I don't like saying piss repeatedly. <laughs> uh, we did a red carapace uh, that went into orange highlights because cards like both red and orange. We did a very pale, uh, pinky flesh tone with like obsidian black claws that were edge highlighted with a green as were the eyes. And that was the scheme. He liked uh, the idea of uh, the Tyranids eating an Eldar craft world. So you put uh, Eldar heads and runes on the base and wow. made, like a temple. You know, like there was kind of like tough screwing in between the cracks of the temple ruins, stuff like that. So that was really fun. He was he was super into it. And uh, one of my other friends who was there, Nick, uh, he enjoyed it so much that one night while me and Curtis were playing uh, Underworlds. He was just sitting here and painting one of the one of the dudes from the Unmade Warband. Uh, he painted for four hours by, wow. by himself. Uh, just uh, he had know. never painted before that day. I gave him a brush, and I and the palette was still there from the video before, and he hadn't painted it before that day. Uh, so he painted the Ned, and then then he just kind of went with, went loose. He was just grabbing paints off my off my shelf and just doing stuff. He's painting with Scale seventy five, um, which wow. is like not very beginner friendly, but it was fine. It turned out okay um not bad at all uh so that was pretty cool um to see him super into that um is there anything you you also want to know about like the yeah. hobby portion i want to i want to talk about it a little bit i have talk some questions maybe okay so the biggest question i have and maybe this is revealed in the video but i want to sure, ask yeah. it anyway that's fine um how much of the excitement or their takeaway from a positive standpoint how much joy maybe that's the word i'm looking for yeah how much additional joy did you bring to their first painted model experience opposed to them watching videos on youtube and picking up that first model and just painting it themselves do you think that changed at all the potential trajectory of them Mm. jumping into the hobby deeper interesting i would say yes and not because i'm like an amazing person to paint with but because these guys are my friends they've been my friends for like i said decades and so it's like that just makes the experience better just just because yeah you know what i'm saying um i don't know if it's gonna change the trajectory in the hobby for them that was a really interesting question it's kind of like you know i'm thinking of like a catapult it's like if the if the projectile leaves at a different point it's going to end up traveling further you know what i'm saying so yeah, I don't I I don't know. I did there is an interview sequence in the video and the answers are kind of like sprinkled throughout the hobbying process where I first talk about what their experience is in the hobby or rather I ask them the questions and they answer. And then at the end I ask about their experience and if they're interested in pursuing the hobby further and, and uh like do you feel capable in being able to take on like different miles by yourself now? Um, and they both were like, yes, absolutely. Um, so, uh, I don't know whether or not that's true. Uh, they both felt confident in, to be able to tackle stuff in the future. Now I will say this, 
I uh, I did I had a, I did have a pretty heavy involvement in coming up with the scheme, which I believe is one of the harder parts of painting models for a lot of people. Yeah, uh, I have a video about coming up with a scheme, but honestly, there really isn't a science to me coming up with a scheme. I'm like running through the rolodex of options in my head, and as soon as I like hit a as soon as I hit a strawberry on the on the slot machine then it locks off it like it's like you have all these options if you pick one then a tree of options appears from that one option and you narrow down like a million different ones you pick another one it gets even narrower and so it's like if someone gives me a direction like curtis said i like red and orange i'm like boom i got 10 options here for you so i will say that i helped a lot with that part and that part would probably be difficult for uh for beginner painters in the future and i don't know how well i equipped them to be able to make those kinds of decisions what if we made an app that was that decision tree where you just started with you could scroll through every possible dark green mid-tone green olive green whatever and you pick one and then here's your all your options we're going to give you for choice two and then choice three what I bet people would love that. Oh my god, yeah, that that that's the kind of thing that promises so much and like de- delivers on half of that promise. But the thing is, if it's and it's not even about it making this amazing three colors that there's no way otherwise you could have ever thought of. It's not about that. It's about giving you just enough confidence that you're not stuck with that roadblock in front of you. Of yeah, but do I do the purple? Do I not do the purple? Well, these were my choices, and any of these choices are good. And so I just, good, these are the three colors that I ended up picking. And if I'm happy with those three together, I can just start. You take that hurdle off of your, your back of each one of those decisions was solely on you and you screwed it up. And so your whole army is ruined. You've wasted hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars. That's the, I, you, like it weighs on your shoulders. Yeah, but that's not a real fear. You know it isn't. You paint I, one model and you're like, I don't like this. I'm going to pivot, you know? Yeah, I, I guess. But I, I still think at some point you have a you have to have that commitment. And so you're like, I want to get it right the first time mm. so I can move forward to actually move to paint the full army. I get it. I, I can't do it. that seven times and keep redoing it because I'm just going to get so frustrated. I'm just going to stop. The problem is variability in, in what people buy. But I thought of an idea. Say, say you have to say, I want this color. And I want to cover this percentage of the model. Hmm. And then from then on out, then other recommendations can be made. Because I think it really comes down to that. You can make a scheme that's red and green and it looks very different if it's 50-50 versus 95-5. It looks way different. Yeah. So, yeah, if they put in like a percentage... Uh, you could probably be like, okay, try these 10 colors at this percent. Mm. And then like you basically get to a point where you have four colors at 100%. And then uh, even though you're at 100%, you could probably recommend other like tones to use for like belts and shit like that. Yeah, what you'd call accent. You'd have different categories. Yeah. I like how we're coming up with another million dollar idea today. Mm. This is our second million dollar product idea of the day. Yeah. What would make it even better is if it took those tones and related them to products available to customers. Yeah, at the end, that's when an you impossible had the task. That's an impossible task. Well, at the end, you had the colors and be like, oh, impossible. you pick dark green when you click, when you have your final three colors or whatever it is, you click on dark green, it'll show you here's the, the dark greens that are available by different mini painting manufacturers that oh, yeah. would fit that, that 
yeah. mold. There are a lot of apps that are, that do things like that. And my question is always, how did you map a physical color to a to a digital value uh, to be able to make this computation? It's, it, it takes a lot. You got to have solid lighting with no color shift, great white balance, a paint that's applied uh, thickly that has no undercoat showing through. Like there's, there's, there's so much you could mess up and so many paints to go through. Mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, it's, it's like a, at some point it's going to mess up, but you know, I don't think there's much, is, not problem, as much is of it? a mathematical algorithm involved than you're probably thinking. I'm thinking no, there definitely is. Well, I, I think that a lot of it is they're just assigned. There's only so many, you know, buckets for them to put in. And we're just going to, someone manually goes through and like, if they had picked this, here's all the paints we threw in that bucket. Like, I don't, I don't, at least if the version of what you're talking about is in my head, um, I think that's the way that they can actually form it into a complete product and not something that they couldn't manufacture like the way you're talking about. Yeah. I'm just thinking like, I was like, okay, what if you like poured a little splotch onto the, onto a, onto on a your little... phone screen? No. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm trying, like, if, I, if I was taking samples to relate a physical product to a digital value, doesn't matter this is we're getting, <laughs> we're getting so getting, far off yeah I, you, you brought it up now core, my head's my head's doing laps right now <laughs> the core of the question was good and then we took a sharp right now now, now we're trying to get with our million dollar idea yeah um anyways uh that was that was the hobby portion it was good they're excited i'm excited that they're excited there's nothing better than showing your friends your favorite hobby and having them like it you know i think the fact that one of them chose after probably spending hours and hours that day six hours six Six hours painting to do that shoot yeah that he actively chose to do more of it it was amazing while he was here i think i mean that speaks volumes of how much he got out of it and felt excitement and confidence to do it again so quickly yeah Um, and and i know kurtz is gonna be listening to this and he's gonna be like that kurtz is the one who who was just me and him were playing trine on on the switch after that (laughs) i know you're gonna listen to this kurtz and be like you're a lesser person for not wanting to do what nick was doing you aren't it's okay they were both very equally excited about the result of the tyranids and putting the three guys together at the end made them just both super amped yeah, but uh, no pressure if you don't have an army done in the next month. You are the worst of the third third friends. Yeah, I handed you that scheme, Curtis. You better fucking you better that, paint those orangey, pinky, ready little bug boys. They're in the the area where I take photos. I, I don't have them out here right now. I will look at them later, Curtis, <laughs> <laughs> and I will send you C and C. Even though you didn't ask for it. Okay. Any more questions about the hobby thing? The hobby side. Um. I don't know. Like, did you did you guys have like just hang out regular friend talk while you're doing it, or was it purely like talk and shop? Like everything was tied to what you're trying to accomplish there. I would say it was ninety percent shop talk, ten percent friend talk. Cool, because we were making a video, cameras were rolling, SD card footage was being consumed. Yeah, this stuff is a prime commodity. You can't yeah. be wasting that stuff. No, um, not. Yeah, and it's a t- kind of a different environment. Rather, you weren't filming, and you just like, guys, it was a weekend. We're gonna we're gonna bro, we're gonna bro hammock. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna manufacture man love right now, and chill. I think you'd do more, just chill and friend stuff. And there's probably some of that, um, the good feels and the positive experience. Yeah, it didn't matter what you were doing. 
Yeah, probably not. That you they had fun because eh. all three of you guys were together. I don't know, because like gaming is fantastic. I love gaming with my buddies, but like in this experience, our 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 uh, time together had like a physical manifestation. Yeah. They, they walked away with something that like represented the, the time together, and that's one of the reasons that this hobby is so great is that you may play wow and spend a year and more cultivating a character sure. but you'll never be, you'll never feel more connected to that character than you do an army that you spent hundreds of hours painting yeah. you know what i mean it's like a physical thing um yeah like you great. can't like just do a you know like cash out button on your wow account and then they send you the physical versions of all the things you spend all those hours doing. That'd be sick. Yeah. Like a, get like a little statuette of your character. Yeah. Bronze statue sick, of you yeah. at max level with all your pimp ass gear like on. Fucking arena gear that you grinded for day and fucking night. Dude. Uh, you know, closed circuit to Blizzard, there's a billion dollar idea for you. And I'm not even kidding. They could create could leverage, a product. Leverage that one company that I can't remember the name of right now that has that 3D printable color functionality. 3D oh, print the figures maybe with a color. Is that Hero Forge? That Hero is that? For, that's what it is, Hero Forge, yeah. Yeah, dude. You could make a buttload. Every nerd Everyone wants, would do that. wants their thing on the Everyone wall. Everyone would do that, yeah. Yep. Damn it, we're just made Blizzard billion dollars, but as they're not they, listening. As if they needed it. No, they're too busy uh, suppressing China. <laughs> oh, no, what is it? Is that what they're doing? I can't remember. Oh. I don't, I don't know. I'm not in on this inside Blizzard information. <laughs> it's not very inside. No. <laughs> it's very out. <laughs> um, uh, I'm aware of it because I wore a Warcraft 3 t-shirt in a video while a controversy was happening and people yelled at me Oh, uh, for, for supporting uh, Warcraft with my fucking 15-year-old t-shirt that I bought <laughs> when I was a 10-year-old. <laughs> like, whatever, dude. Warcraft 3? I mean, yeah, dude. Rain of Chaos. Best RTS ever. Um, oh, okay, the final comment i have on the hobby side was, yeah um i think that there was even more than your tangible takeaway i think there was an emotional takeaway that will give them more of a runway to get this thing off the ground and to make it a reality and i'm not saying it's 100 percent certainty but i think when they look back on this weekend all the good feels and all the good times will have that connection in the model and in the physical act of painting it. And because they have that emotional connection to it, I think that that will fuel them to want to tap into that feeling of nostalgia or a feeling of connection to that initial experience with painting. That won't last them forever, but that will last them with enough time to that for them baby birds to get out of the nest and not crash to the ground and split their skull open. Yes, yeah. So I filled their tanks up. Yeah, they're, you, driving, they're driving e cars right you now. Ch you chewed up the worms. Yeah, spit them in their mouth. Oh. <laughs> and said, "Your bellies are Fly. full. Get the hell out my nest." Yeah, and just kicked them out, and they're just plummeting to the earth right now. <laughs> Seconds are going by. Will they fly or will they die? <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can turn the podcast off now. We're gonna talk about gaming. <laughs> Where are my gamers at? Uh, yeah, we played Underworlds, and I'm gonna talk about it because that was that was my most exciting part. Because you know, I do painting. Yeah, I don't do gaming. Yeah, we played four games of Underworlds. Woo. Did you, played, you play all one v one, or was there some no. three the, ways? The <laughs> it's not gay, but it's in a three way. <laughs> <laughs> Two little nine references. This right? episode. Let's go for the hat trick. Um, 
uh, we played the first one was a three v three, a three way. I don't want to say that. <laughs> uh, the the next two were one v ones. I one v one Nick, and then I one v one Curtis, and then the last one was another uh, free for all with three players. Um, I lost every single one other than the last three way. Which okay, because so, they were feeling sorry for you. Silver lining here: if I'm gonna lose a lot of games and win a small amount, I want that small amount to be toward the end of the game. Sure, because it implies it implies that I'm learning, right? Yeah. And yeah. now, if we would have kept playing, I would. Yeah, I would have kept winning. I'd be fucking ten and three now. No, uh, <laughs> no, that's not true. And that game uh, isn't made to be played with three players. So I mean, it isn't. No, did I you mean, you played it with extra boards, right? So yeah, you you do three boards, you do additional objectives, additional lethal tokens. I mean, they have rules for it, but it's really designed and balanced around a one v one thing. You're Not right. that it can't be fun. You're right. You're right. You're it right. Can't be fun. So you you just invalidated the one W. Yeah, on that one. one's not a real win. Thank a big old you. asterisk there, buddy. Thank you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so but you still sounds like you you had fun playing the four games. The system seemed enjoyable. Yes. Um, I want to play more. Uh, I feel like I lose a lot of games that I play. Is that normal for you? Like, are you just a natural winner? Depends in, on the kind of game. In miniature war games. I feel like I feel like I, I lose a lot. Yeah, I win all the time. I lost a lot of fantasy. I lost a lot of guild ball. I lost a lot of, I lost a lot of this so far. Well, not, I mean, who knows? Maybe not. It doesn't matter. I'm not complaining. But despite the losing, I, I do want to play more. I am excited to to play the game. There are a lot of things that I was discovering uh, game after game. And I want to talk about them now okay. and, uh, and see if like you had similar thoughts about them. Um, so I played Skaith's wild hunt, which is the uh, like kind of like the, the spiritual successor to wood elves. Um, and I wasn't a fan of them for the longest time because aesthetically they look uh, like uh they're prehistoric. Mm. Um, I got the models and I was like, these don't look that bad. Mm. Uh, the sculpts aren't that bad. Uh, they have, they're satyrs, so they have like goat legs and stuff like that. I'm mm-hmm. um, not super into that, uh, but whatever. That's okay. I can, I can live with that. But then they got these dumbass hairstyles. Like if they had just normal hair, like just like flowing hair or whatever, like long hair, I'd be cool with that. But instead they have like these, they look like wannabe dwarf slayers with have you ever seen dwarf slayers that are like naked with like super big orange mohawks yeah they look like dwarves do they have big mohawks i don't remember okay not, look at them you have them over there somewhere. they're not mohawks or fauxhawks yeah they're over there they're the green miles in the cabinet um so it's, it's just like a, it's a weird combination of uh design elements you got the goat legs you got the fucking crazy ass mohawks they paint orange in their box art um, maybe it isn't mohawks. Maybe they have just a constant draft of air blowing their hair up. <laughs> it's super vertical. Yeah, it's just like it's like, like the hair just goes shoot straight up, not up to the sides. Yeah, it's not. It's not straight oh. back. Like they're running. It's like it's no. like up and back. It's very strange. Yeah, that's not like. And they got, the air isn't causing that. They have sideburns, right? They have like sideburns that are down on these little. They have like ponytail clips it's just really weird for the sidebirds to come down their face anyways kernothi obviously is a derivation from the god of the hunt kernos 
uh, wood elves would during the summer seasons all get super bloodlusted and run through the forest, ridding it of impurities, including other elves. They would eat eat people like there it was like a, it's a seriously violent thing Ooh. and these guys have a very similar story they go through groves and and uh, and clean out all the bad guys in this case they came with uh the beastmen in uh in the beast grave box uh who have who got a really cool facelift uh and for some reason my guys got this weird treatment <laughs> they, turned, they, they had sex with goats yeah like they <laughs> like the beastmen look like like normal fantasy beastmen, but just like age of sigmarified, high detail, uh-huh. cool designs. But wait, 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 enough complaining. This is what I thought that Bowman was in the freaking. Oh, you did, yeah. You said you okay, yeah, yeah. I said Sylvaneth. That's not Sylvaneth. That's Sylvaneth are trees, bro. I know, but I did. I figured this was under Sylvaneth's. There's a there's an archer. There's an archer in, in age the of Sigmar in the Sylvaneth. Uh, uh-huh. Anyways, um, I digress. I sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um. So basically any product that GW makes and markets as like a what elf thing, like I'm going to buy just because I want to send signals to GW that like, yes, I want more of this. Mm. I'd be interested in seeing a full Kurnothi army uh, and what that would look like. Uh, but anyways, obviously I picked them. I got to say my reaction yeah, after well, first time ever holding these in my hands. Yeah. Especially this dude. I freaking love this dude's pose. Sick pose. I love the uh, leg pose. over. Yeah. It's a sick okay. pose. Um, I really dig their legs with these hooves. I don't like them. But because I, they have the the awesome reverse knees. And it just is uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I dig the reverse knees, which is true to like a deer or any hooved animal. Yeah. Um, and that's just really cool. Yeah. Um, I, I hated them and then I got them in my hands and now I'm impartial. I agree with you. The hair is stupid as hell. Yeah. Yeah, I could take a, take a leave of the legs, but I'm fine that they're there. Why does the Why does the freaking lion have the same mohawk haircut? I don't know why it's a lion. Why isn't it a stag? Yeah, that's a good question. You got satyrs, you got a centaur, and a fucking like lion? lynx lion thing. I mean, it's got a mane. It's got to be yeah, a lion. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, this uh, this war band. So, anyways, to, to, to briefly describe Underworlds is a three-turn game that is broken down into the action phase and the end phase. The objective of the game is to accumulate glory. Whoever has the most glory wins the game. Uh, and you do that via accomplishing goals and killing people? Do you get yeah, one you, glory when you kill someone? Yes. Okay, so you kill people, get glory, and you have, uh, you have uh, objectives uh, and, you, and you get glory. You have two decks. You have the power deck and the objective deck. Uh, the ob- objective deck is where you have your objectives to score glory, and your power deck gives you all kinds of extra powers. Both decks are decks that you can make, so there's a deck-building component to this game. The deck-building component is the strategy, really. Uh, yeah, right, because each warband is static. Um, whenever you play against Skaith's Wild Hunt, you will always play against these five characters, and they will yeah. always have the same stat line, the same conditions, everything. Mm-hmm. The, the where the where the where the game comes alive is is in the deck building for sure. Um, each uh, so like I said, there's three turns. Each turn is a power step, and then um, and sorry, sorry, an action phase and an end phase. After every single player's uh 
action phase, whenever I activate one player, there's a power step where you get to play power cards. And power cards let you do fun things like move one player one hex or um, uh, score something or uh, like uh, fucking swap positions with your character and another person's character. Those are called gambits. Uh, They're fun things you can do. And there's, there's items you can give your characters to kind of upgrade their profiles, get them more options, things like that. Um, that's the game in a nutshell. Um, what I realized about this team is they're kind of aggro. Uh, every single one of these guys... What? I, I wouldn't have necessarily thought that. Every single one of these guys gets uh, inspired. Is that the word? Yeah, inspired is when you flip the card. Yeah, if they have a charge token on their card at the end of the phase. Oh, it's an easy one to accomplish. It's very easy, yeah. Um, and so the, they're encouraging charging and stuff like that. Um, so l- l- pretty aggressive. Um, I don't know how to structure this conversation about this, but I have a lot of observations about the game. Okay, It feels incredibly bad to do anything with an activation other than hitting somebody. Mm-hmm. So you can forfeit an objective card for a new one. You can do that. That's a player action. Mm-hmm. You can forfeit your turn. That's another player action. You can move uh, just a character or whatever their movement is. Uh, you can charge, which is moving and charging, but you can no longer activate that character for the rest of the, the phase. And you can go on defensive stance or guard. It's guard, right? Yeah, guard. I never went on guard a single time. One player did one time in our four games. It just feels bad to do. There are teams that are objective, solely objective playing teams that their deck and the team is built around not killing. And they will win the game by mm. messing with stuff. Are they dwarves? Um, no, actually a fair <laughs> amount of the undead are, are good at this. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. And so they're not going to beat you in combat most of the time, but okay. they're going to win the game other ways. But it's not really balanced really well. They want you to fight. Yes. And if a team will okay. either be built that way and not be good at it at all and suck, or they'll be so good at it that it just feels like the game is not working as intended. Yeah. Um, that okay. you don't have to play the game everybody else is playing and you can still win. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I didn't get that much experience, so I, I didn't do it. But I would say ninety percent of my of my activation activations, uh, you get three tokens. A phase so in the entire game you get 12 activations essentially mm-hmm. uh 90 of them were spent uh, uh just charging charging or uh or hitting people um so yeah that was that was an interesting thing uh i feel like they, they have all these interesting mechanics in the game but it's like they're never there never seems to be an opportune time to use them um my other observation it's hard to not compare it to games that i played before so in Guild Ball, it, it's, it feels like the dice don't matter a lot of times. If you, want to, if you want to guarantee a result in Guild Ball, you can guarantee it within like a 95 percentile as long as you dedicate the resources necessary to doing it, right? Yeah. So you may, you may suffer in other parts of your, uh, your turn, but if you want to make sure you score a goal, you can pretty much ensure it's going to happen. So my guys have an interesting like one-two punch where this horn boy, he's a wizard, he could spend a turn doing a, doing a player action, not a player action, uh, like a, an action on his card where he blows the horn. Okay. And then the next uh, attack that you do, you can reroll any number of dice. That's nice. That's cool, yeah. So uh, I would spend 
two turns setting up for a kill. I'd uh, I'd, I'd I'd run the the lion in to be next to a target, which gives you uh, additional bonuses in combat. I'd blow the horn, and then I would run in with Scathe, who uh, who's, who's pretty capable in combat, to get a kill. I'd spend essentially twenty five percent of the activations of my entire game to try to kill somebody, <laughs> and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. And it was so frustrating. And so, but I realized that's part of this game. And it's because of how the dice are set up. Yeah. Right? So in this game, they have uh, a six out of die that has an exclamation on it. To crit. To crit. Two hammers, mm-hmm. one cross swords, one circle with one half moon, and one circle with two half moons. Those are all the icons. Crits always succeed. Mm-hmm. They're called critical successes. And if you have one of those and your opponent has none, you win no matter what. Yeah. Okay? So if I roll up with this guy and I roll three hammers, which are like, which is a pretty decent roll, I, it feels bad to re-roll any of them to go for that one in six chance of getting a crit, so I stay with the hammers. I'm finding a fucking stupid mushroom. <laughs> that idiot rolls one crit, the whole thing is off. There's no partial damage in this game. Yeah. The whole thing is just effed. And so that felt really mad. That felt really mad. It felt really mad. <laughs> that felt really bad. I was really mad. Okay. And um, then later sad. But then I realized this game has a higher degree of risk management in it. You need to have contingency plans and you need to not invest in things that aren't going to come to pass. So an example of that that I kind of discovered in the deck building was I have a, I have a goal called Annihilation which is you get five glory if at the end of a phase, every enemy is dead. Um, it's called win more. Yeah. <laughs> so You probably won the game anyway, dipshit game. Yeah, so <laughs> there's that. Uh, but the other thing is that card is really only useful if you draw in the third phase. Yep. Otherwise, it's wasting one of the three objective cards in your hand uh, for a certain portion of the game. You draw it at the beginning, that's, that's even worse, right? So not only did I never kill every single person in the game, but it would never happen to the first two turns. So an example of risk management or reducing risk was I took that five glory and I chucked it and I put in a one glory, stand on stand on an objective and get a, a point. Yep. Just easy shit to do. Um, and when I started thinking like that, I started doing I started doing things differently. Maybe I wouldn't run my links up to set up for the fight. I would just blow the horn and then charge and throw Scathe's javelin. And maybe it wouldn't work. Maybe it would work sometimes. Um, it seems like the success rate was uh, affected very, very, a very little amount. And I was investing less of my precious activation tokens in that success. Um, so that was one thing I discovered. And I'm curious if, if you felt the same way. That that there is a higher degree of risk management in this game because of the way the dices work, the dice work. Yeah. Well, the other issue you're, I agree with you. The issue with it is there's a finite number of activations. And sometimes even with risk management, if something didn't pay off the way you needed to, there's not enough activations left in the game for you yeah. to really make up for that. It's a, it's a small amount. Four feels really, it feels like a small amount. I don't know. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, the the thing with the game that excited me and I really think has potential was also the thing that eventually burned me out on the game, and that is the deck building side. Yeah. Um, 
certain factions, just their faction cards. So the only ones that they're the only ones that get to use them are some factions. They're amazing. Some factions, they're terrible. So the ones that are amazing, they automatically get a three, you know, a three jump start to having a deck. That's awesome. Cause they already have some ones that nobody else can take. And then you have yeah. this big pool of general cards. I don't like that. The pool in general of the cards. Now, it's been a while since I played, and the pool is probably bigger, but I don't know if they rotate prior sets out. I think they do. They they uh, disallow certain cards for, for competitive. Is that, is that what you're yeah. saying? Um, but you, you need a bigger pool in order for there to be enough variations of options within the game to find the right combination that works for how my team plays. Yeah. You know, because like you didn't go. I mean, you went against the troll, but I oh tell, yeah, I want to talk about that too. But if you were to go against the group of the the orcs, like the Iron Jaws, yeah, dude, it there's four of them and it's hitting a brick wall against all of them. And by the way, they turn around and are as strong as your strongest guy. Like they're just so powerful, it's so hard to kill, and they will crush you the second they can. Yeah. Okay, that's another thing. It feels like if you're going for an attack, if you don't have the prospect of one-shotting someone, it just feels bad. Yeah, because you, what you're going back to your your mis- risk mitigation, you're relying on multiple things to happen in order to get that kill. If any one of them don't happen, that dude now is on two health points left, and you took two activations of hitting, whack, whacking on him really good, but the third guy failed. It doesn't matter he has got one health left. And yeah. Because he can turn around and kill you just as well as full health. Exactly, yeah. And so archery feels silly. And and sometimes magic, because well, sometimes magic. Because they often do just one damage. Yeah. Um, this chick can take an item called fast shot, which allows her to have a reaction to shooting, meaning she can shoot two times in a row. Oh. Which is nice. I like that a lot. Um, that was helpful. I kept that one in my in my uh, power deck. Um, and I, I got to use it a couple times. Um, could you blink off shrooms with that? I could, yeah. I was, <laughs> and he's, he's, got, he's got a javy. So I could I could uh, make some shit happen uh, from range with these two guys, uh, guys and gals in tandem. The, the deck yeah. that I, or the team that I used that I had a lot of success with was the Sepulchral Guard, actually. Yeah, I have that one too, yeah. Um, because I played the, uh, the objective game with them. Okay, yeah. Because you can, if you had the leader alive, in one of his activations, you go, and you resurrect one of your skeletons oh, that that's sick. been killed. So you res them and create this screen of skeletons, and you just I just moved around to their side and grabbed their objectives, and all my things are scoring objective points, holding more than one. If I if I held two, it was like three points, and if you held all like three, you get like five points. Like so the I moment. don't care if you kill me. You're take what you're wasting your time playing catch up. In the meanwhile, I'm scoring immediate scores, not end of round something happens scores. It right. happens immediate scores. And so, so, so the moment someone has a team that uh, has a lot of flip this objective over into a lethal hex, like what happens to your team? Uh, I lose. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that was that was like a strategy was like to flip objectives to make them lethals. Yeah, and that in season one, Underworlds, Shadespire. I don't think there was any cards that did that. Yeah, I, I could be wrong. Yeah, so we got Shadespire, Nightfall, Beastgrave, and now Dire Chasm in yeah. season four. And this leads me to my my other point about this game. Uh, so this is a season based game. Every season uh, we're in four right now. They come up with new mechanics. This season was magic, and uh, the new season, 
this time has this thing called a potency token. I, f- I forget what it is, but it's not as significant as magic was. All the models in the previous seasons have no casters. Mm-hmm. And, now, and now in this season, they do. So GW is changing the rule set every single season while also not updating the other warbands. And it, it's so easy to update. Just change the cards. Yeah. Release a pack of five cards for, your, for those old squads where they update the stats, maybe turn one up into a caster. It's so easy. It's a, it's a super easy fix. Well, it's power creep because they're adding new things and new things give you more options. New yeah. things are better things. Right, right, right. And the old ones don't have those new things. Right. And then the environment and how the game is played changes because of new things and makes the old ones more and more obsolete. They're just not veiling at all that this is about making you continue to buy, really. I mean, if you want to keep playing and... I mean, the models are cool. The it's thirty-five bucks a box is not super expensive, but quite frankly, after you play it, if you want to keep playing, what's the first thing you want to do? Get more cards. Oh right. Yeah. How do you get more cards, Scott? You got to buy the boxes. You have to buy the boxes with the models. You cannot just buy the cards. Yeah, that that's a little shitty. That's stupid. Yeah, not gonna lie, that's a little shitty. So it, that's my thing. They 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 advertise this game as like the most competitive game. I guess at least available in the fantasy market for their for their their products. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Am I am I lying right now about that? I thought it was advertises that. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I mean, they've supported it and backed it from the the way they go about stuff like like seasons and that kind of stuff. That's the same method that you go for for a competitive style game. So okay. I I think it's safe to say that that's the approach they've taken with it. Yeah, it's such an easy thing to make the old squads viable. They've set it up in a in a way which makes them easy to update, and you could and you can sell more stuff. GW make a little card pack for Molog's mob that came out uh, in Nightfall, uh, and give them give them a little bit of a boost because the new seasons coming out maybe are a little bit have a little bit more options, you know. So I appreciate that it was set up that way so that it's easier to update and, and keep balanced. Hmm. Uh, one thing I, I so I okay I, I'm complaining a lot, but I I did really enjoy the game. Um, one thing I really liked was how playing. I played against one v ones against both my friends, and uh, one thing I really liked was how different it was to play against Mogwiath's Blade Coven versus Molog's Mob. Molog's Mob was like you are either killing the troll T one, or you are playing run away the rest of the <laughs> game because that guy uh, Nick. Uh, who was playing it, stacked buffs on it, made him a <laughs> fucking monster. And basically he was killing someone once a turn. It didn't matter. Someone yeah. was going to die. Um, and so that, that was an interesting thing. I was playing Runaway. I was like trying to like get things, kill mushrooms and, and little guys while capturing objectives and running away. That was fun. The, the Blade Coven was different. Um, and it was just cool how... Maybe this isn't a great thing to praise. It's just cool how each squad had a different play style, had to be dealt with differently. It made me feel like the game had a nice depth to it. Um, I was learning things about how tile placement is important. My friends recognized immediately that uh, having a narrow playing field was worse for me. It, had, it gave me less options. It meant that whenever I invested a model with a charge, all of the other models were closer by so they yeah. could fuck with me. Yeah. So if I ever won the roll-off in the beginning, I'd always choose to go second so I could stack it and make it a wider board. Yeah. Uh, lethal tokens were super interesting as well. Uh, I started by putting them in the midfield so I could possibly push people into them 
take damage, but I realized that I should put them in the enemy's end zone because I was always ending up over there. Sure. I'm always charging and stuff. Um, so it just felt really good that the more I played, the more I learned about the game, and it has me excited to play to play some more for sure. I do want to play some more. I don't know when I'll do it, but uh, yeah. yeah, I'm interested. I would. I don't. I'm not opposed to getting back into it. I don't want to get it like competitively. I want to be like, oh, no, I want this deck no. too. Yeah. Maybe if I have a couple other cards, and I've got my big binder. I should have brought that with. Um, of all like the some of the initial cards and stuff that I all have, and if there's anything you'd want to look through for your decks and stuff. But oh, sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I think by looking at these models and looking at the ones that Dan brought today over, oh yeah, I'm kind of interested in. And I've kind of gotten away because I kind of burnt out on the game. But to just remember how cool the models are in this game. Yeah. I want to look at them again to just maybe pick some up to paint. Yeah. Because they're very, very cool. I ended up with a lot of these. I have the Skelly Boys, which their name Sepulchral Guard. Mm-hmm. I have Mogwiath's Blade Coven. I bought, I bought them to do conversions for Blood Knights. I also have uh-huh. Zagbag Gits because I bought the oh, one bought for the, the thing we did with Sam and yeah. Vince. And then I have these guys and gals. So I actually have a decent number of cards to build a deck from. And so I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to look at the through. Beast Grave half, other half and too. The, and the other half of the Beast Grave, yeah, the, the Beastman half. Um, I, I, there's this tool online. Uh, it's underworldsdb, I believe, .com. And you can say what decks you have, and you can have it auto-magically build you a deck. I don't know what, what mm. requirements it's using, uh, but I did that. It says you can say which ones you own and then what you're building for, in this case, Skates, Wild Hunt, and then you just say go. And then it just gives you all the list. Cool. It's cool. It was cool. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think that that's, that's it. That's my experience playing Underworlds. Um, was it easy to play oh my God. from the beginning? Like, learn the rules to, <laughs> to play the game one time. Was that Did that feel difficult? Yeah. I think it did. I think the first game was a little weird, um, but like with all games, once you once you air it out, then it's just like super easy. Yeah. I think the one thing we were kind of confused about in the biggest time sink in the game is that every single activation phase has a power step after it, mm. and in a three player game, that gets old really fast. It's like so many powers going off. It's like I I have two power steps before I get to activate a player again. And when it comes to me, I'm just going to blow a fucking horn. That's all I'm going to do. So it just felt really bad to like... Blow my horn, go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was that was it. All right. I think that's fun. I, I, it was good to unpack your uh, hobby and gaming weekend. Yeah. Um, and so I got to live vicariously through your <laughs> shitty game decision. Yeah. <laughs> It's not shitty. I, I I harped on. I'm probably most critical of this because I played it a lot in the first year it was out. So I felt yeah. like more confident in my decision to rate it a little bit more extreme. Yeah. So okay. Well, all right. What, what are we doing next? now? We're out of the news. Uh, first one on the list is a miniature wargaming movie. I will say a couple of weeks ago we mentioned a South African miniature painting documentary. This is a different thing. This movie was self-produced. Uh, is available in a lot of places where you can buy it. And it has people like Peter Jackson in it. It has super old and epic employees from like GW, from a bygone era. Like it has a lot of serious people in it talking about it. It's a really sick doc. I watched the uh, the trailer for it. And I feel like uh, if we want to see more stuff like this, we need to support it. Mm. Uh, so like if you if you want to, if you want to see more cool well-produced content for uh, for the miniature hobby. 
Uh, consider going in and buying this movie. I don't know how expensive it is. It's, it's available on, on video on demand on a lot of places. I, I imagine it's not that expensive. But it, it, the trailer looks awesome. I'm going to buy it and watch it soon because uh, I love stuff like this. Buy and rent. Yeah. It's it, now available. But yeah, they have some. They got some serious people in that video. Dave Nordquist from Mini Wargaming is in it too. Uh, and it's all self-funded. It, it was a really cool project. Um, so cool. it's different than that one. Speaking of the South African one. Speaking of that one. Speaking of that one. Speaking of that one. That uh, that one premiered on YouTube today. Today. Not today that you're watching this. Today that we filmed this. Yes. It's on YouTube. We'll have it linked in the description below. Another documentary focusing mostly on the South African miniature painting uh, uh, group. And uh, you can watch it. And it's linked in the show notes. We're excited. We might watch it tonight after oh, we're, we're done recording we're here. Definitely going to watch it tonight. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, and then we can use South African accents. South African. South African. Um, I think that's probably one of the hardest accents to do ever. And I can... Only you, like, recently in the last probably a couple of years, have I actually been able to recognize and say that's what that is with my ears? Yeah. It's like Afrikaans, like Zulu, like British. It has, like, all these weird... And it it sounds so freaking cool. It is. Um, Yeah. Um, I have one really quick side note. Yeah. This is a new freaking base size. That doesn't exist. That's a, that's smaller than a cavalry base. That's smaller. You know why? Because it has to fit in those hexes. And oh, I bet the other ones don't. D bags. That's how you know that they didn't actually they didn't actually intend for this to ever be a real Sigmar <laughs> army because it's a new base size. <laughs> no, I assume the army will actually have base, uh, but you won't be able to use that in your army. I guess. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, this seems. Wait, that's smaller than the freaking Black Knight bases. Uh, That's smaller than the Black Knight bases. That's Jamaican. I know, but I just really wanted to say it like that. Okay, okay. That's not so African. Uh, (laughs) Last thing on the news. We're kind of blazing through this right now. Yeah. No, this is the thing I'm excited to talk about. Yeah. So take us on a journey, Scott. (laughs) Tell this story about GW spilling the beans and trying... To, to to kick the spilled beans under the couch so no one knows they spilled them. And then I lifted the couch. <laughs> you no, lifted the I couch. Didn't. I didn't. Uh, because it was so smelly under there. <laughs> You're like, who kicked the beans under this couch? It stinks. So this might be, this might be old news to you. Uh, I remember hearing about it a long time ago and thinking nothing of it. I was talking to Pete from CreatureCaster recently, and he mentioned this, and so I kind of looked into it again. There is a, an investing website that kind of like interviewed GW. <laughs> it's probably like a, a a high executive of GW, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. No, they just interviewed the... Uh, just the local the, dude that the runs the store. entity that is GW manifested in human form. <laughs> it's just a picture of the emperor on a computer screen. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, and uh, the so from an outside perspective, a name like Games Workshop would suggest to you that, that their primary focus is the game, right? They're into making games. Sure. The, the, the focus of games are to be played, right? So a question they had was, why don't you make the gaming experience easier? Why don't you make pre-made, I'm sorry, like a, like a, what do they call it? Oh my God. Like a whole models, like that don't need to be assembled. That like come, you get in zombicide black plague exactly that come uh air quotes pre-painted you know like whatever like each part of the plastic has like color on it just like the whiz kids 
minis in the box in the blind box. Yeah. Kind of like Guild Ball did, right? It started with the, the pewter, the assembly of the models, the whole hobby. And then later they're like, actually... We're mostly about gamers. Then they released the, the, the PVC plastic ones that had no assembly. They had colored plastic. Mm-hmm. They came with all the cards, all the balls, everything. All the balls. It made it cheaper. Um, yes, all the balls. Balls of light and normal Dude, balls. Get both balls in that sack, buddy. <laughs> so, and then GW responded was 80% of our clientele are hobbyists. And I was like, they don't play the game. Holy shit. Uh, so that's super interesting to me. Yeah. 80%. And what they said are what they mean by 80% of our clientele is 80% of the money we make comes from people doing this and not playing the games. Only 20% is coming from people who are just playing the games. Yeah, possibly. And I wonder if that's because people who are playing the games are looking to do it in the maybe in the cheapest way possible buying ebay stuff buying things from like web stores that have 30 percent discounts uh buying things in bulk things like that whereas people who are doing the hobby personally myself i, I buy things piecemeal like one mm-hmm. at a time mm-hmm. i never paint it it goes in the closet i buy <laughs> right. something else right <laughs> you know so yeah there's a lot of questions like what, what does that actually mean what does that mean yeah and so what does it mean to fill gaps scott <laughs> i'll show you later <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, I uh, so the, the the plot thickens here, and so I was like, I was like, okay, what does that what does that mean? Because that, that's what that's what Pete told me, and I remember this article vaguely. And then he told me, you can't find the article anymore; it's bum, gone. Bum, bum. Not just that part of the article; the entire article is gone. And so scrubbed from the internet. I tried. I tried. I did some digging. Oh, I found a forum post on his on his forum. Uh, talking about the article and linking it and the website, and sure enough, the article is gone. But there are utilities on the internet that allow you to reach back in time, because oftentimes websites get get time stamped at various intervals. Once a week, they'll, they'll they'll save a version of the page, and so you can kind of look back in time to a previous posting of an article. Now, I haven't done it yet quantum leap if you will but i would love to see if i could find a previous version of that article uh that uh talks about that um because that would be a super interesting thing to read about um and one i would i did not expect i think if i hadn't read that article i would have assumed it was 60 percent gamers 40 percent hobbyist painters the fact that it's gone (laughs) Makes me very suspect to the exact words that were used to really describe that. Because I'm guessing it came across, whether intended or not, in a bad light. Yeah. I, I, okay. Yeah, GW is a little bit sensitive to that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So their version of a bad light could be any number of things. True. True. Um, but yeah, it was it was yeah. interesting to hear about. It, here's the thing. Here's what my brain goes to immediately. This is jo- this is, we're going to enter John's wild speculation realm right now. Okay. Here's I what I area. think. When they say only 20% of the people that are our customers are actually playing the game. What do we think? We think, well, that's not me. You know, oh wait. Oh, if I say, oh, sorry, the other way around. Only 80% of the people don't play the game. 20% do. Well, I must be in the 20%. You know what? You're probably freaking wrong. 
you have intentions to play. You say you're going to play. I'm building an army. I want to play. I'm building lists. But you know what? You're not freaking playing the game, bro. How do they even know? Because I bought Underworlds and I played four games this weekend. Am I a painter? Am I a hobbyist? Or am I a player? I don't know how they determine that. How do you know? You know? I think the fact is that they probably don't know, but they threw out a number and that number ended up looking bad when it was written on paper. Possibly, yeah. Um, But I think there's some truth to my statement there. That we may consider ourselves... like. I've played like four games of 40K in my life. Technically, I've played the game. I've got a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of models, and I just bought the whole box of the Plague Marine Space Marine Heroes box. Yeah. I'm not a player of that game. Right. I have played a game, but there must be some kind of stipulation of how many games per month would constitute you as a a player. Mm. And dollars spent divided by games played per month or whatever, they probably can come up with a fairly um, you know, accurate number. But how do they gather the data of how many games you play? Right, yeah. I don't know. I mean, you can go by events. You can go by, I don't know. That'd be games reported in GW stores and stuff like that. I don't freaking A lot of people play in their basement, too. Yeah. I know a lot of people I do. that play a lot of 40k but they will never play it at a store and they'll never play in a tournament they have a group of smaller group of friends yeah and you just play in somebody's basement and that's how they experience the game so i would assume a lot of those people are probably off gw's radar it's possible they have armies they've been playing with them for a long time that was probably one of the yes that was the biggest problem with with fantasy is no one was really encouraged to buy new models uh people just kept playing with the same army forever yeah and Um, you don't grow your player base that way right exactly yeah And that's, you know, I'm all for giving a company that I enjoy their product, whether it's on the hobby side or on the gaming side or whatever space in in between, giving them my money because that means that that's making them successful and make more things. If I like the things and I'm willing to buy them, I want them to make more different things. Right. As much as we shit on Games Workshop, Games Workshop makes so much cool crap all the time. Yeah. And I'm more than happy to give them my money because they're going to keep making cool crap that I'm a sucker for. <laughs> yeah, dude. Absolutely. Yeah, we just shit on GW because it's punching up and they can't, they can't, I mean, they, they, they wouldn't waste their time trying no, I, to, to retaliate. <laughs> well, I think a lot of it is too, I mean, to speak for myself, but I think you're probably in a similar boat. You can tell me otherwise. Okay. I, I really enjoy so much of what Games Workshop does. So it's easy for me to nitpick at the things that aren't great. Define like. Um, I mostly I I love the quality and the experience of building, painting, and playing with their models. Yeah, it's undeniable that their plastics are incredibly high quality. Whether or not you will say that you like the designs and aesthetic they're going for. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things they make, I don't really care for. I don't care to buy. I don't need to buy them. A lot of their game systems are not very attractive to me. Um, they're okay. Uh, but there are, there are... Man, I don't even know what I'm saying right now. I've had, I've had more fun playing Gloomhaven than I have had playing every Games Workshop game put together. <laughs> and I'm not even... I'm not exaggerating. It's that much more fun of a game to me. Now, it's a certain type of game. Yeah. Um. And it's not an apples to apples comparison to a Games Workshop game. Right. Um, but I think Age of Sigmar is a fine game. And it's a fun game in the type of 
army, cool fantasy models fighting it on the table. It's a it's a good game. Yeah. So um, I don't have to love everything about it. I think the fact that they put effort and thought and continue to try to do more things on the hobby side, whether or not you agree with all of them, new paints, new tools, new miniature holder, whatever, the fact that they're kind of creating an environment that there is a consumer base largely built up around their products from the hobby side that give new space in the world for other companies to enter in and fill in those gaps or do what GW does and try to do it better. But you're kind of, I don't mean this in a bad way. You are, you're standing on the shoulders of giants that if that giant didn't walk through that lake to get to the other side, there's no way you would have been able to cross it. But now that you're there, you have so much more opportunity. This isn't a slight on either side of that, that coin. Yes. It's that think about how many small companies, mid-sized companies are making awesome things from the hobby side that are there because of the huge player base and money in the market for this hobby. Right. Trendsetters, man. Yes. And so because so much of these good things in the hobby comes from Games Workshop, even if you don't love Games Workshop, I can shit on it because I appreciate all the good that they do. Right. So... Um, well, I can tell myself I can shit on it. I can't say it all. You can agree or disagree with that. All right. That's the news. News. All right. Welcome to the end of the podcast. Thank you for hanging out and uh, chatting with us. If there is no video for the first half of this podcast, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's my fault. It's got tripped over the cord. <laughs> oh, God. I hate cords. Uh, anyways. If you like this podcast and you want to support it, there are a number of ways that you can do it. Uh, ways to do it without spending money would be to watch our podcast with ads enabled. There are several add-ons on Chrome and Firefox that allow you to whitelist channels. We put ads once every 30 minutes. Uh, you can also tell your nerd friends about our podcast to kind of get some more exposure. You can give us reviews on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate all those reviews a lot. They, they give us more transparency or more more eyes on the podcast on those various platforms. Mm. Uh, if you want to spend your dollar dues, uh, we have merch. We have a new design that has tendies and a bunch of great references uh, on it. We don't have it yet, so we can't wear it. Yeah, we were hoping we'd have them in the mail for this episode. Yeah, we don't have them yet. Um, hopefully, we get those soon. Uh, that's available for purchase now. Um, and you can also support us on Patreon. And as a patron of the podcast, you get access to an extended episode uh, where we talk about uh, awesome models that we admire from other people in the community. In the past two weeks that we've discovered, we give feedback to one of our patrons. So obviously, as part of the patronage, you get to give us models to give feedback. And you also get to hear in that extended portion about a new thing that we've tried, experimented with uh, in the last two weeks. And that amounts to like 20 to 30 extra minutes of content Yeah, each time. You, uh, you sound kind of sleepy for nighttime podcasts. I mean, maybe this will be better the next nighttime podcast where we wouldn't have been working for 10 hours straight prior. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I mean, I don't want, yeah, I don't want to be a dead horse, but yeah. I was up at 5 a.m. today. It's oh 10 p.m. right now. So this is usually basically like I'm, three hours past bedtime. For I'm you. better than all of you because I woke up early. <laughs> you know, that's what I hear every Typically, time you say that. Whenever someone suffers more, they are the ones that get to brag, right? So if sure. you live in Minnesota, you don't get to complain to us about how cold your winter is unless you're in Winnipeg, okay? Because sure. we got it worse than you. 
okay <laughs> so it's like oh man it's 30 degrees fahrenheit in san diego or in san francisco it's like bruh it's minus 20 right now like shut up you know so same thing yeah i'll give it five john shut up right you know? well it's like us complaining about bugs here in the summer like oh there's mosquitoes out oh, yeah. actually you live in uh australia those bugs will murder you yeah they'll eat your face and then steal your house okay yeah i i saw this uh thing on reddit of this dude in Australia that had one of those big, huge spiders living in his yeah, apartment, dude. in his apartment, and he just let it stay there for a year. And there's a fucking there's pictures of it. It's on his living room wall. The fuck? It's like the size of a dinner plate. No. And he's like, yeah, sometimes I, you know, I'd like swat a fly or something and throw it up there. And he like grew this spider. It's, it's like, like a huntsman. Like a, a huntsman. Yeah. It's as like I said, a hunter spider. Yeah. It was a huntsman. huntsman is what they called. Yeah, and I about pooped my pants they're not just seeing a picture on the internet of this spider they're not they're not uh lethal those ones aren't but they're still huge oh but there are there's plenty of lethal ones yeah uh, yeah they're they're one or the other or both <laughs> big and deadly <laughs> all right there's some extra bonus content for you uh thanks for listening we really appreciate it and we will catch you guys on the flippity flop